This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm going to make him an offer again. All real man. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I know you. I know you. I know you. I love you. I did as you if there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember, that's what you told me. It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to The Shape of Water. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 89 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today, I have Will Mavity. Hello, everybody. And Josh Williams. What's going on, everyone? Josh, welcome back to the main show, my friend. Usually we have you on from the film reviews, but this week we have you talking about a lot of various topics, including Can 2018. We're going to talk about some new trailers for Robin Hood, as well as for Catcher Was a Spy. We got some fan questions, some polls to go over, and Will, as always, has some news, which uh, he's going to round off here. But I want to just draw everybody's attention to um, something that Will presented over to me this week, and that was that we're putting the news uh, section uh, of the podcast in written form on nextbestpicture.com, which we posted for the first time on the blog this week. So if if you want to get caught up on everything that's happening in Hollywood right now, you can head right over to the blog page, and we have all the links listed there, as well as the trailers that we like to talk about here on the podcast for you all. But we are still going to continue to do that here as well. With all that said, let's break the ice, gentlemen. What has everyone been catching up on this week? Did you see anything at home or in theaters? Josh, let's start off with you. Uh, just in you know, since Can is starting, I've been kind of going through some. Some of the old Palm Dior winners, just taking a little bit of a stroll down some of those films, just because I, when I was looking at the list, I hadn't really seen a lot of them. So just kind of taking, taking a peek at some stuff like that, and then just kind of catching up on some stuff I haven't seen. Uh, I've been watching a couple Michael Haneke films. Uh, I just saw. Yeah. A please, 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 please tell me you watch Cache. Uh, I've seen Cache. I had seen Cache already, so I'm good on that one. But I had seen um, Amore and The White Ribbon. Nice. What'd you think of them? Uh, I really liked both of them. The White Ribbon was a little weird at first. I couldn't really get on it, but the the longer it went on, I was like, all right, I'm I'm into this. You know, there's that one scene in the movie where, um, and and my my memory's a little vague on this. I saw it back when it came out in 2009. Yeah, I believe it was. And I I think it was a scene where a little kid was talking to his mother about death. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I remember that just like resonating very strongly with me. Black and white photography also really stood it stood out in my mind. Mm. Um 
and just the overall uh, message and themes of the film that Haneke was uh, discussing. Because I remember people like thinking, oh, this is a movie that I remember like hearing about it thinking, oh, it's it's a movie that gives rise to like the Nazis in Germany. And it, it, it is and it isn't. It's a post-World War One Germany trying to deal like in the aftermath of that. And you can yeah. kind of see the influence that um, comes upon the younger generation of that country in a way and how it does give rise. But it's not so much about that. It, it is more um, it, it is more metaphorical than anything. Oh, yeah, definitely. Do you think, both having watched it, that it deserved to win Best Cinematography? Because, you know, it won the ASC. Did it deserve to win Best Cinematography? I think so. It's pretty good. It's pretty gorgeously shot i mean the black and white photography is really nice it's not like um i wouldn't go as far as to say he really does anything new but I, it's definitely like gorgeous to look at haneke's always been very like precise with how the shots just is specifically like the succession of shots in his films especially in cachet so i felt kind of some some draw from that in the white ribbon so i really liked it my cinematography winner for 09 is inglorious bastards so some of Richardson's best work ever. I just love the uh, nods to classical uh, films in that movie. I mean, especially the opening sequence. The The opening sequence in and of itself, to me, is a film school 101 that you could teach an entire class on. Uh, it's yeah. just so masterful. But also the the reds in the theater scene at the end are just like, woo! Yeah, you know? uh, definitely agreed on that, for sure. <laughs> uh, what'd you think of a more, Josh? Um, Amor, I had a little bit more, I mean, I obviously liked it. It was definitely, it's one that I want to revisit just cause I feel like I didn't cap, I didn't capture like all of the emotions and the themes that were meant to come through on a, on a viewing. So I feel like I have to watch it again so it can like simmer with me a little more. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a tough visit. Uh, so I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know if like your own like mental health, if I really want you to rewatch that movie, but I, you know, <laughs> yeah, by all means be my guest. <laughs> what about you, Will? What did you catch up on this week? Mary Shelley. Ah. Um, I don't believe I'm under embargo, but I do have a review that Matt's posting at some point. I'm holding on to it. <laughs> okay. I guess until it's closer when the film gets released. Yeah. When is your embargo up? Well, th- that's the thing. They didn't mention an embargo. Oh, well, if they didn't mention an embargo, then it's not. You know what? I just realized it's not embargo. There are already reviews out for it, technically speaking. So you're you're fine. Well, we'll, we'll probably just hold on to that for a little bit. But I, you could you could tell us here. I mean, what did you think? It was incredibly mediocre. It wasn't actively bad, but it was just kind of there. Mary Shelley is a very interesting person, or was a very interesting person, a very complex character. But they kind of just reduced her to a couple emotions. The primary one being grief. There was a lot of talk by the characters about creating your own voice and going your own direction. But not a lot of filmmaking that indicated really getting your own voice. I mean, like, it is very unsubtle. Uh, Things are spelled out for you via dialogue. The score is overbearing. Maisie Williams, bless her heart, is atrocious in this. She's got, like, this just horrendous Scottish accent she tries to put on. Elle Fanning's pretty good, but she's always good. I was going to say, when is Elle Fanning ever phoned it in yeah but like overall it's just super flat and everything is too clean you know there's no 
Okay, it, okay, okay. We get it. We get it. You, you have some criticisms with the movie. <laughs> yeah. I, in in any event, though, I mean, we weren't really expecting much out of that. Um, and that's going to kind of lead me into a film that after watching the trailer for it, I'm not expecting much anymore for it. Um, we got the first trailer this week for Robin Hood. Starring Taron Egerton, Jamie Foxx, Ben Mendelsohn, directed by Otto Bathurst, who, um, what was it like? He did Black Mirror, I think, and some stuff for Peaky Blinders. Yeah, he, he did a really good episode of Black Mirror. He did he did the one about the prime minister having to have sex with a pig. Like that's a good, well directed episode. Yeah, let's take a look <laughs> at the trailer for Robin Hood, shall we? It's been whispers. got our commoners looking up, seeing hope. If I may, I propose a bounty. A thousand a week until he's caught or killed. I've never seen anything like you. You can stare death in the face. That's why I chose you. You're not curious? He's under the hood. He's obviously well-trained. You clatter him. He's a smash-and-grabber, nothing more. Who do you think the thief is? He's all of us. You're an admirer. He has his qualities. He's not you. Are you sure? Now, you have to be a warrior. You wanted to steal? Now's your time. Was that supposed to happen? Yeah, of course. Okay, gentlemen, I, I know the plot of Robin Hood. I I've seen a lot of trails of the character this trailer single-handedly made me misunderstand everything i think i know about robin hood and i absolutely <laughs> have no idea what this movie is anymore what are the costumes i, I don't like is it supposed to take place in the future and there's like such a divide between uh, upper class and lower class, and lower class has gone back to like medieval garb. I don't know because <laughs> Ben Mendelsohn is rocking like a suit. I'm so, <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever been as confused watching a trailer as I was this. <laughs> it makes zero I'm, sense. I'm so confused. <laughs> okay, so Taron Egerton, bless his heart, loved him in Eddie the Eagle. I like him in the Kingsman movies as well. He does not look like he's well-suited for this at all. Does not not look like he can carry the movie. Jamie Foxx, it, it just looks embarrassing. Ben Mendelsohn, I'm sorry, but like he's becoming, for me, like Mark Strong was for a little while, where he was just being cast in every single generic villain type in every movie. I 
This did nothing for me. Nothing. This looks worse than King Arthur. <laughs> if that were even possible. Isn't it the same universe, right? No, stop it. Oh. They're not doing a shared universe with this, are they? I don't know. No. Remember, they're like when King Arthur came out, they were talking about like they want to do like a shared universe of stuff like that, right? So, so King Arthur, just a little history lesson. The King Arthur movie we got last year was the result of two separate King Arthur properties that Warner Brothers had acquired. One of them was a King Arthur cinematic universe. The other was, I believe, a uh, Guy Ritchie-style crime film. They tried to put them together, and they killed off the plans for cinematic universe. They were oh, okay. too – yeah, no, that, that didn't happen. There was some because I remember it got like announced when the movie came out, and so I couldn't remember if they were like still going with that or not. No, it's not happening. But there was okay. some connection with. Um, I thought for a while, like I thought this Robin Hood was based on a draft by the guy who wrote the King Arthur one. Like I, I, I do remember that, but there's, a, I guess he is no longer receives the credit if that's the case because he's not listed. Oh yeah, I don't know. Do you want to know the most bizarre thing about this movie? I do. Yeah. It is being produced by Leonardo DiCaprio. What? That's really? Yep. That was like finding out that Michael Bay produced The Quiet Place. No, that makes more sense. Bay, you know, like Bay like horror films. This is Leonardo DiCaprio's producing credits, okay, are ranging from the assass- the assassination of Richard Nixon to Out of the Furnace, The Eyes of March, Live by Night, and now this. Hmm. Like, he's a much better uh, actor than he is producer, I suppose, in terms of choosing the right project. (laughs) Oh, my God. He produced Red Riding Hood, too. God. Okay, I I guess he... mm, I I am so intrigued. Maybe he's just a big fan. Was this going to be a good project at one time and it just got hijacked? I think we were all just kind of excited of the idea of Robin Hood possibly being done right. Uh, Because Ridley Scott's Robin Hood was not great. It was trying way too hard to be like Gladiator and Braveheart. I was expecting something much, much different. And, you know, the idea of Ben Mendelsohn playing the Sheriff of Nottingham had a lot of people really excited. But I think it just, at this point, there was supposed to be, I remember, a project where it was just supposed to be called, I think, Nottingham. And Ben Mendelsohn was supposed to be the lead as the no, Sheriff no, of Nottingham, no. right? It was, no, you're, you're, you're getting it mixed up. Nottingham, and that's what I tweeted about uh, earlier this week. Nottingham was on the books Years ago, 2007, 2008-ish, I was so excited in middle school, um, and basically Nottingham was going to have Russell Crowe in the lead. It was going to be directed by Ridley Scott. Um, Russell Crowe was going to play the sheriff of Nottingham, and it was going to portray him in a sympathetic light with uh, Robin Hood as a crazed radical. And that's what Ridley Scott's Robin Hood went into production as, but the studio wasn't willing to have something that atypical and made them rejigger the script and turn it into more of a traditional Robin Hood. That's why that movie was bad. That's why Russell Crowe is fat and out of shape in it as Robin Hood, because he came on to play somebody who it would make sense for him to be kind of fat and out of shape. Okay, all right, I got my timelines mixed up there. And you know what? That makes a lot of sense. You know, that's a movie I would kind of like to revisit maybe, though. Um, 
because I do remember there being some decent sequences in it, and I remember there being, you know, lush cinematography. I, I can't help but feel like it might have some good elements at this point, maybe, but I'm not in a hurry to go back and revisit it, that's for sure. With that said, this looks like a hot mess of garbage. It comes out in November. It's going to be a, a reprieve from Oscar season for uh, some people looking for some entertainment in the movie theater on a more mainstream level, but I am not expecting big things from this whatsoever. Hey everyone, I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. Let's move over to a topic of conversation that's going to dominate a lot of this episode. Um, Josh, you already kind of alluded to it before, talking about what, watching the white ribbon and a more let's talk about can 2018 starting up this week can. so we have a big jury of names here that's very very exciting we got kate blanchett ava duvernay leah sadu Kristen stewart denny villeneuve what? there's a lot a lot of people on the main competition jury there uh with kate blanchett serving as the jury president this year nice we have benicio del toro for uncertain regard i mean a lot, of, a lot of big names. The films, though, and I've been hearing this a lot lately, the films are not generating that much excitement. We've heard stories about a lot of movies that were brought to Cannes, um, that, or rather that Cannes wanted, but they turned it down. We have some films that are playing out of competition that are, I would say, maybe a little bit more exciting to see what happens. Um, you know, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, uh, directed by Terry Gilliam. We're going to finally get some word on that. The House That Jack Built, the new Lars von Trier movie, which I cannot believe Lars von Trier is back at Cannes. <laughs> I just like I'm shocked. I mean, he's not in competition though. So uh, we also have Solo, a Star Wars story, which will be debuting at Cannes out of competition, and then um, in competition, got a lot, a lot of foreign films here. Um, I would say probably you know for myself, the two projects I'm most excited though about are Spike Lee's Black Klansman, which seems to be a departure from a lot of the work that he has been doing but could be hitting in a big way in the mainstream. And, of course, I'm also very, very much looking forward to David Robert Mitchell's Under the Silver Lake. Just in terms of everybody's thoughts right now with Can right around the corner, uh, what does everybody think right now? Any predictions at all? Uh, anything you want to talk about regarding the festival? I wouldn't say I have any predictions right off the bat or anything. I'm I'm on board with you where I'm looking forward to Spike Lee's Black Klansman. That's definitely – it sounds like it's going to be a departure, as you said, from some of the past films he's been doing. And it, hopefully he comes back to some of the stuff that I like him more for, like in his earlier films. Um, and then, yeah, I feel – I'm glad that you're excited for Under the Silver Lake because I feel like I'm one of the few people who's like really, really excited to see that movie. I can't. I just can't wait to watch that movie. I, that's like my most excited for the rest of the year. <laughs> I thought you were after the trailer came out. I remember in our trailer review, Matt, you were kind of eh on it for Under the Silver Lake. Yeah. yeah, I was, but then I started thinking about it just a little bit more. I rewatched the trailer, and you know the fact that it is playing the can does give me a glimmer of hope. I guess you could say. 
There's there's also other things happening too, though. I mean, we have this highly publicized uh, screening of a restored version of 2001 A Space Odyssey that Christopher Nolan's been touting around saying this is the way it's meant to be projected and seen on the big screen. Um, and of course, that's uh, proven uh, to be quite a debateful uh, topic in terms of, you know, what really is restoration and, you know, the idea of a lot of people, I know, I know for a lot of people, they watch movies at home on their big TVs and they've been digitally cleaned up and they like it because it has a more modern look to it. And it's something that's very easily digestible as a result. But this is supposedly an untouched actual film print of 2001 A Space Odyssey that is going to be projected. And I don't know, I think that brings up a very interesting debate over, you know, how do you prefer to watch a movie? Ultimately, you know, like there's something to be said for seeing a movie as it was projected back in the day when it was originally released in theaters. And then there's also something to be said for I do kind of like seeing a film cleaned up. Like I don't want to see hairs or dust on my projected film stock. You know what I mean? I I wanted I wanted to look clean. I don't want it to be digitally manipulated to the point where the filmmaker's original vision is being tampered with, but you know what I'm you know what I mean? Yeah, I get what you're saying. They, they had a Cinderella re-release uh, recently that was so digitally cleaned up, it had accidentally removed, like, the folds from her dress. Which oh, yeah. Is pretty I, great. I think I saw you tweet about that. Yeah, I mean, Disney's been uh, having issues with that in their Blu-ray re-releases now for a number of years. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It'll be very interesting to see how that's uh, received when that uh, projects and the conversation keeps going forward. Uh, whatever things we have going on with Cam, we have Wildlife special screening uh, directed by Paul Dano, which I got to check out at Sundance. Uh, Will, did you get to see that one? No, I did not get to see Wildlife, but I'm dying to. I've heard incredible things. Um, I'm, you know, gonna just remind everybody: Carrie Mulligan, her second Best Actress nomination, is coming. I think for this, and I do think Paul Dano could line uh, could get into the DGA lineup for first time uh, director as well, potentially. Uh, what else do we have? We have Gotti, uh, starring John Travolta. <laughs> and no? don't forget the score by Pitbull. Yeah. yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he's following guys like Johnny Greenwood uh, into the world of film composing after having a background as a pop musician. <sighs> it's the weirdest thing. In <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Also, too, uh, we also have the opening night film, Everybody Knows, directed by Ashgar Fahardi, two-time Oscar-winning director Ashgar Fahardi. And this one is starring Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz. And this one is a Spanish-speaking film set in Spain and is definitely a departure for Fahardi. Um, if this lands pretty well, I could see uh, Fahardi, uh, you know, coming back to the dance again in this year's award season with this film, especially because it's such a departure. What do, what do you make of that one there, Will? Yeah, I mean, he's he's undeniably talented. Quite, uh, you know, it's funny. There is some debate. Technically, he is not an Oscar winner. Uh, that's true. Yeah, I guess you're right. So technically, he, he's Oscar nominee, Oscar Fahardi. But, uh, I mean... That any project that has Cruz and Bardem, uh, Bardem is intriguing. I don't know much about the plot, other than it's what like a domestic drama. Mm. But yeah, I mean he's he's very talented. I do think his second win was at least in part influenced by the circumstances surrounding it with uh, the ban Trump had instituted. But he's he's talented. Let's let's see how it goes. 
Um, and even if it isn't immediately well-received, it can. I think there is a possibility that it gets a second win later on, kind of like his past, his previous film, which I believe was kind of middlingly received at Cannes. And then, yeah. Oh, uh, speaking of which, do we think it's interesting that uh, A Star is Born in Suspiria avoided, deliberately avoided Cannes, even after being invited, because it is now deemed that Cannes is not a good place to debut Oscar contenders? What do you think about that? You know, that, that's a very interesting um, idea that was brought up this week that I, I gave a lot of thought to. And I started asking myself that very question. I started thinking about films that have premiered uh, at Cannes and have had to have long legs to survive through the summer, go through the entire fall, winter, and somehow, some way, still emerge as Oscar frontrunners or victor winners. Um, you know, it, it's a very interesting thing because... While I do believe, like for me, common wisdom says you debut a can, you get the praise and the acclaim that you need. Then the good thing is that you kind of go away for a little bit. You, you you sliver under the radar. You know what I mean? Like that. That's what that summer like cool down session is supposed to be there for. And people then underestimate you. And then if the critics are able to then, when we get to critic season, able to somehow resurrect that movie and make you go, oh, yeah, no, that was really good. And the studio has a good campaign about them. I, I do think that that is a great, great way to get into some award season success. You're not kind of billed as the front runner then that everybody is trying to take down with a target on your back if you're released in the prime Oscar season. Which is... Uh, Carol and Foxcatcher ended up with those Best Picture nominations, right? You know what, though? I mean, Carol, I'm sorry, Carol is a good movie. It's a very good movie. But Carol was never going to win Best Picture or Best Director. You know, it was never. Even Foxcatcher weren't even nominated. Like, that's well, Foxcatcher, we know, came extremely close, as evidenced by that Best Director nomination for Ben and Miller. It had to be close. Yeah, but it's, it's weird that. And also, I mean, like it underperformed for most of the awards season with many thinking because it premiered so early. I mean, Corel got the a bit reason of a why it premiered so uh, not as strongly throughout the awards season was because nobody could decide if Corel was lead or supporting. Where are we going to put Channing Tatum? Mark Ruffalo definitely wasn't supporting, but then who is he competing against? Those actors were all kind of competing with each other for votes. And they weren't able to make a strong enough impression throughout the rest of the season as a result. Carell probably got in by the skin of his teeth with that nomination that year. Because remember, that Best Actor category at that Stat. award show was huge. Exactly. So that film had a lot working against it. Not to mention, of course, it was a very dour, morose very very dark film and that does not appeal to a very wide subject of people but at the same time i mean that movie you, you can't deny that that movie is impeccably well made really really well paced the character's performances i mean really everything about it you know like when i think back to it miller's best director nod for that movie makes a whole lot of sense yeah and that also makes a lot of sense that the film did not get a best picture nomination I think Carell's nomination makes a lot of sense. You said he got him by the skin of his teeth, and I could probably agree with you there. But man, Carell does definitely deserves to be in that stacked lineup. Like he is, like he 
threw everything to the side that everybody was like, well, he can only do comedic roles and he can't really submerse himself into a major drama role. Like he is chilling. In like, that like, movie. Let me let me put this out there once again. Best makeup, screenplay, supporting actor, actor, director. Okay, people want to talk about Selma and Gone Girl. I know Selma got that Best Picture nomination, but, I mean, you don't end up in that many categories and then, you know, be considered a flop, even though you didn't get that Best Picture nomination. You know what I'm saying? No, yeah. Same thing with Carol getting, what was it, six nominations that year? I think so. And everybody likes to jump on the fact that it didn't get Best Director or Best Picture nominations. It still got six nominations. Like, it was still a really well-loved film. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I Listen, I, I get it. If, if a film misses Best Picture, it's kind of like some people have this idea of like, oh, it's all for nothing if it misses Best Picture. Uh, I, I don't think that way. So, No. Uh, with that said, that's going to lead us to a, a fan question right now. So let me get this one out of the way here. We actually have two questions pertaining to Can. First one over here is from Uncle Jeff 73 on Twitter. The question is, why do you think Cannes is the creme de la creme of film festivals when it statistically really hasn't produced that many Oscar nominees and winners, especially as compared to Toronto? So why do we hold Cannes in such high esteem? Uh, this is kind of going hand in hand with your question there before, Will. Um, why do we look at Cannes as such a prestigious film festival, even though it looks like its impact on award season is diminishing? I mean, it's just such a, it's such like a it's like the history, I would say, you know, it's been around for, you know, a very long time. And 46. Yeah. The first Palme d'Or was in 55. I mean, there's, it's a, it's one of the, it's right up there with it. You know, one of the biggest film festivals on the planet. It's what, you know, film students dream of getting films into right next to Sundance. You know, I mean, there a lot of people go to Cannes and a lot of people see a lot of bunch of different films at the Cannes festival. So I think it's just, the history, the nostalgia, and the exposure that comes with it. While maybe there's not a lot of Oscars that come out of Cannes, it still is such like a massive achievement for something to be in Cannes. And you know what? I'm going to just jump on that and just say for the record there, Josh, maybe more Oscar films should come from Cannes. No, because yeah, absolutely. Cannes is an international <laughs> film festival that celebrates foreign cinema. And, you know, if the Academy, I get it. We're an American-based institution. We like to honor American films. I get that. But... I don't know. Expand your horizons a little bit more. Why don't you? You know, maybe yeah. maybe we can learn a thing or two from Cannes by including films from all over the world, from all walks of life. I don't know. Just food for thought. No, yeah, absolutely. Will? Yeah, I mean, like historically, if you think about it, for how much clout people give something premiering at Cannes, there aren't a lot of there's there's a number of foreign film Oscar nominees that have come. There are not a lot of just general Oscar contenders that have premiered at Cannes. The artist was very much an exception. Um, same with Tree of Life. But yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I go back and forth because sometimes the Cannes jury has taste that I just phenomenally disagree with. But at the same time, you know, they, they've had some great calls. Nicholas Winding Ref for director for Drive. You know, oh my God, I, if I wish the Academy had gone for that. Um you know, they, they, they do have interesting choices sometimes. Blue is the warmest color is another one that would have been fun to get some attention. Um, it's, but they're films that the films can love, the can juries love, are never going to be Oscar films just because they like far more daring than the Academy does. 
Well, let's look at like last year, for example. We had the killing of a sacred deer. You were never really here. Yeah, I mean, you know, going to what you're saying here, Will, you're right. Uh, <laughs> oh man, I I kind of I I just hate saying that. I hate admitting it because I do wish that we were not so. I, I wish that the idea of an Oscar movie was not so easily definable. Yeah. I really wish that there was a way to broaden the scope a bit more. Yeah. All right, that leads now into something else here, that another fan question that we received relating to Cannes. Uh, Josh, you were talking before about how you were catching up on some uh, Palm Tour winners. This particular person on Twitter, at uh, TCinephileLbox, asks, what is your top three favorite Palm Door winners since 2000? What? Since the year 2000. I don't know why he wants to know from just the year 2000, because there are some predating 2000 that I'm a huge fan of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, since 2000? Hmm. Let's think about this for a minute here. So let's let's rattle them off, okay? So we've got Dancer in the Dark, all right, Lars von Trier, The Sun's Room, The Pianist, Elephant, Fahrenheit 9-11, The Child, the Wind That Shakes to Barley, Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days, The Class, The White Ribbon, Uncle Boomy, Who Can Recall His Past Lives, The Tree of Life, Amour, Blue is the Warmest Color, Winter Sleep, Deepan, I, Daniel Blake, and The Square. There's like an embarrassingly large number of those I still have not seen. I would yeah, say. so I mean, he's asking for top three favorite um well I, I i will give you a pass same same to you josh if you guys want to just give me your favorite for me uh top three i will go with you know i'm just, first i'm looking at which films made my top 10 list uh for those years i you know what i gotta say tree of life is probably my number one actually i just love the ambition of that movie and i love its cinematography i love the thoughtful contemplative nature of it all. I think it's uh, Terrence Malick's last great film that he has made. Um, bu- 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 four months, three weeks, and two days would be number two, and a more would be number three. Nice. Josh? Uh, my number one is Uncle Boonmi, who can recall his past lives. Ooh, nice. Um, number two is Blue is the Warmest Color. And... Um, Number three is probably uh, four months, three weeks, and two days. That movie's really good. Well, I feel weird saying this given news that just came out this week, but I do still think the pianist is a masterpiece. You heard? Yeah. I mean, so I mean, you you just used the M word. It's a good movie. I mean, <laughs> um, masterpiece, masterpiece, masterpiece. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know if I'd go that far because he's made some other masterpieces, but the pianist is definitely good. I gotta have a think on that one. I don't know. Is I don't know. The M word is tough, um, but it is really good. I agree with Josh. Damn. Um. I. I gotta. I. I think I might revisit that film. But uh, it'd be very interesting, like you said, Will, in light of recent uh, news and not not even just that, but I mean, in general, maybe that's why it's been really hard for me to fully ever embrace that movie yeah. as much. I mean, I was telling somebody on Twitter the other day, like, if you put Chicago and The Pianist for director and picture one right next to each other and they're the only two nominees, I'm picking Chicago in both categories, personally. I, I, just, I just prefer it over The Pianist. So... 
I don't know. I've never I've never fully loved a pianist. Um, I don't know if I would now. So, especially like when I when you think about it, all three of its Oscar wins were considered surprises. Adrian yeah. Brody winning was a surprise. Adapted screenplay was a surprise, and best director was definitely a surprise. I mean, Rob Marshall won the DGA for Chicago, and he lost. <laughs> so, that was I think we were heading towards a, uh, if the voting had been about a week later, I think we were heading towards a crash for Shakespeare and love style upset where the pianist would have won picture too. Yeah. I mean, that's what everybody says. And uh, I, I can't argue with them on it. It definitely sounds like that. That is the route it was going to go. Um, and it would be interesting to say the least to see now how that would hold up today. That's for sure. Hello everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one... Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? okay? That's what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't buy it that. That's just how <laughs> it works. Okay. So, Ken, this week, very, very excited. I want to move on to the polls because... The polls this week have to do with can. So let's go first to last week's poll, and then we'll talk about this week's poll. Okay, so last week's poll in was tied to uh, Tully, which released in theaters this weekend, which is very good, by the way. Everybody go out and see it. And the question was, which is your favorite Jason Reitman-directed film? We listed all of his movies, including Tully itself. However, unfortunately, that was a little unfair because not a lot of people had seen it yet. So <laughs> I would just spoil this by saying, yes, Tully did not win the poll. Dang it. Uh, we have Thank You for Smoking, Juno, Up in the Air, Young Adult, Labor Day, Men, Women, and Children, and Tully. Predictions. Josh, what won the poll? Uh, I'm going to say Juno. Will? Yeah, I think Juno. 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 Okay. 45 to 40. The winner is Juno with Up in the Air hey. with 40 votes in number two. In third place was Young Adult with 12. You want to hear the most shocking thing about this poll? I do. Men, women, and children did not get a single vote, but Labor Day got three. Wow. Oh, I, that's not that surprising. Like, um, I, I mean, like, in a sense that there were people here that would say Labor Day is their favorite Jason Reitman film. <laughs> yeah, that is surprising, I guess. But I like Sasha Stone. I remember when that movie came out, was tweeting about it was a masterpiece, surefire best picture contender, et cetera, et cetera. There are people who really like it. Okay, well, that's fair. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so last week we uh, mentioned that we have last best picture going on right now. We never poll for that uh, for our Patreon subscribers. We have another poll happening right now for our next throwback review for the month of June. So next week on the podcast, we will be reviewing uh, as a throwback review Deadpool, the first film, which 
won our last poll, and uh, <laughs> Will uh, Will actually reminded me. It's funny because I thought to myself that I had done a podcast review for Deadpool because I remember it was before Next Best Picture had arrived, and at the time it was my own personal blog, and I remember reviewing Deadpool. But I didn't actually start my podcast until like a week or two weeks after Deadpool came out. So we never did a podcast review on it. So we're now going to get a chance to do so. <laughs> but we have our list of movies that we want um, our next door back review to be influenced by. And those movies are Adrift, Hereditary, Incredibles 2, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, Oceans 8, and Sicario Day of the Soldado. I already have it in my mind what I would like our throwback review to be uh, for each one of these films if either one of them were to win. However, depending on which one does win, I will have to come up with a number of options. Uh, just out of curiosity, go uh, everyone, what would you pick here as the film that could influence our next throwback review? I'd be curious to see what you choose to pick if Hereditary wins, just to see what we'd review. Okay. I don't know what you would go with, Matt. Oh, I know. I, I have some ideas. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I think it'd be fun to listen to a bunch of people geek out about the first Incredibles. Well, we know that that's going to happen on Next Best uh, Adaptation. Is that right, Will? So don't do the, don't do the Incredibles because that's going to happen anyway. Yeah, exactly. So everybody head over to the polls page. Vote for that. This week we are asking everyone, which is your favorite Palm Door winning film from the Cannes Film Festival? This is going all the way back to the beginning. We have a number of options listed. We don't have every option listed. There's write an option uh, for that in case if your option is not there. So uh, from the options that are listed, I mean, Will, Josh, what's your favorite Palm Door winning Cannes film? Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, I got to go with Pulp Fiction. You gotta? Like like it's obli- oh. like, like you have to? Oh, no, no. The problem is there's Apocalypse Now as well. Yeah, see, this is much harder than you thought it was going to be, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> mm. I think I have to go with Apocalypse Now. That's in my top five of all time. What about Taxi Driver? I prefer – I love Taxi Driver. I prefer Apocalypse Now to Taxi Driver. Okay, that's fair. Wow. MASH is really good too. Uh, oh, Trains are flying. Have you seen that, Matt? I have not seen that. Oh, dude, the camera work in that thing is off the chain. You got to check it out. Like it's it's absurdly well shot and directed. And it's called the cans are flying. The cranes are flying. Ah, okay. That was that was a can pun. No, no, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm probably gonna go with uh, the conversation as my favorite. Oh man, that movie's in my top five of all time. Everybody's like, everybody's now wondering why am I reacting like that? Um, I am one of the few, very, very few people that does not particularly like the conversation. I love the conversation. Okay. Well, it's in my top five of all time. I'm not going to argue with this because I know I'm in. I know I'm in the wrong. Why don't you? Love <laughs> I mean, you're not. I I think for me, and I'm going to rewatch it. I've only ever seen it once. I think the problem was expectation because of the first two Godfathers and Apocalypse Now, and then I just went into the conversation thinking, oh, "This is going to be amazing," and it. I mean, it is. It was fine. Rewatch it. Well. I don't know, and I and I and I also really really like Blowout, which is similar to a certain degree. Blowout's really good. Yeah. <laughs> oh so. my god, Blowout! Yeah, yeah, that movie kind of makes me giggle, though. There's a certain degree of camp to Blowout, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that movie, like all those like near misses when he's like, 
in like the bathroom stall and trying to like strangle her and then she like bends over just the right time it feels almost like a slapstick comedy oh jeez. <laughs> well everybody head over to the polls page like i was saying before vote and tell us what you think is your favorite palm door winning film from the Cannes film festival uh let's also now at this point let's move over to some more questions shall we yes so we have some questions actually pertaining to the superhero genre because as I'm sure Will will talk about later in the news section, we had a <laughs> we had a music video drop this week by Celine Dion, which congratulations for making Celine Dion relevant for the first time since 1997's Titanic, uh, Deadpool 2. You guys definitely earned it for this one. The video for Ashes released, and my first initial reaction was, this is actually a surprisingly good song. And two, this is like the best ploy at an Oscar campaign I have ever seen. <laughs> it's like, because it's so, it takes itself so seriously. Yeah, it really does. But it's associated with the most, with the campiest film property that is out there right now. So this question is coming from Kevin underscore Jacobson on Twitter. Ashes from Deadpool 2 is on track to possibly get a best original song nomination. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. If so, would it be the first song from a superhero movie nominated? Question mark. Uh, somebody uh, replied uh, later on saying that that actually wasn't true, uh, that there was a superhero film that was indeed uh, nominated. I believe it was from uh, Dick Tracy, if I remember correctly. But he then proceeded to ask us, what other songs from superhero movies do you think deserved nominations? That song won, by the way. It won Best Original Song. Oh, sorry. You're right. Thank you. Sooner or later, I always... Yeah, Dick Tracy won, like, four Oscars. Is that weird to anyone else? No. Dick Not Tracy's really. a good movie. No, it's a good, yeah, it's a good movie. Sorry, Will. Didn't mean to uh, burst the bubble there. <laughs> um, if I were to pick... I don't know if I could pick a past original song from a superhero movie, but, I mean, there's a bunch of... If we count the entire Black Panther album, there's a bunch of really good songs on that that should be considered... Well, I think All the Stars is probably the biggest one and the one that yeah, that'll what that's what'll get pushed for sure. I agree. We haven't had a lot of really good songs associated with superhero films, have we? We've had some good scores, but like, you know, we're not gonna have like like the Dark Knight is not gonna we're not gonna finish Gary Oldman's speech and then immediately cut into <laughs> X gonna give or like you know something. Can you all edit those. that together for me, please? Michael Bolton does like the song at the end of the Dark Knight because <laughs> <laughs> he is a hero. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, like it just it hasn't fit often. Um, no, nah, you know what? I mean, here's an interesting. All right, so here's an interesting way we could take this thing because I th- I think you're right there. I I don't think there's so much songs. Um, Maybe we could be really, really quick and not like hang on to this for a while. But let's uh, let's pick a score really quick. A score from a superhero film that never got a nomination. Uh, the first Avengers movie. Ooh, okay. Going recent. The, the one that I just referenced, either Batman Begins or The Dark Knight. That's crazy. That and I'll do you one better. I'm going with Tim Burton's Batman for Denny Elfman's Ooh. music. <laughs> that, that, that's, oh, you know, you do actually have a bunch of original songs that remember Prince did. Prince oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> did an entire Batman album. It's really awesome, Tim. <laughs> so I guess that's that's what we should all what we should all vote for. Why, why was it Prince nominated for an entire album of Batman songs? I'm not sure. 
All right, sticking with the superhero theme here for a minute. Uh, Avengers right now, fastest film to reach a billion dollars worldwide, killing it at the box office. It is debatable if it will have the same legs as blank, uh, blank, as Black Panther. <laughs> that's like, that's like me saying the, the Tony Stank thing. Yes, this is Mr. Tony Stank. <laughs> Mr. Tony Stank. Blank, blank Panther. Oh my Lord. Okay. So Ryan McQuaid 77 on Twitter asks us, excluding the Avengers, what will be the highest grossing film of the summer? Probably Solo. I, I'm going to say Incredibles 2. Oh, shit, yeah. But I, I I am surprised that Solo seems to be tracking very, very well. It's confusing. <laughs> it is, because all the signals really I'm bad. getting from every person I talk to is telling me that they're not excited for it. Yeah, no, it does not look good. <laughs> what do you think, Will? It's a huge brand. It's a global brand. It's just like Marvel. I guess I'm not that shocked. Um, I don't think it's going to be our biggest film of the summer. I think, and you know, I think Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is one we have to consider being the big oh, money maker. Yeah. I still think there were a lot of people that saw the first one and are not going to turn out for the second one. I mean, what we need to realize, the majority of the movie going audience is A, stupid and B, lacking in taste. So I don't know about that. Uh, Deadpool 2 also, you know, we mentioned that could make bank. Yeah, if Deadpool 2 gets better reviews than the first film or equal, um, it's going to make more than the first film. So, although once again, no, it's kind of that is interesting now because it's a summer movie and there's going to be a lot more competition where the first film had really great legs because it was released in February. You know what? This should be the new thing for superhero films. Just release a movie in February. <laughs> this way you have no competition. You can rule the box office for multiple weeks and you become the highest grossing domestic film of the year like Blank Panther. <laughs> oh, man. Blank Panther. God. <laughs> All right. Last question. This one's from McBlooster118. What are your favorite non-Marvel films involving the Avengers? So, as an example... Robert Downey Jr., Tropic Thunder, Mark Ruffalo, Infinitely Polar Bear, Jeremy Renner for Hurt Locker, Scarlett Johansson, Don John, and Chris Hemsworth and Rush. Are those yours, personally? Nope, those are the ones that uh, uh, that Josh provided for us. Oh, okay. So, I'll start, and I'll say for Robert Downey Jr., Zodiac, for Mark Ruffalo... I am torn between either Zodiac. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could just pick it again. Um, but I'm not going to. Uh, Eternal Sunshine, the Spotless Mind. Uh, Jeremy Renner for Hurt Locker, yes. Scarlett Johansson, uh, Lost in Translation. And Chris Hemsworth, oh man, I really love Rush, but I'm going to just go out and say The Cabin in the Woods. Nice. You're going to say Cabin in the Woods is your favorite performance? No, no, no. Not favorite performance. Just he said, what are your favorite non-Marvel films involving the Avengers? So favorite performance by Hemsworth would actually favorite performance by Hemsworth, shockingly enough, is either Thor Ragnarok or Avengers Infinity War. (laughs) I think he's really coming to his own as that character at this point in his career. And I think he's absolutely phenomenal now as as uh, as Thor. But favorite films involving uh, these actors uh robert downey is chaplin Ooh, yeah uh mark ruffalo is zodiac yep um jeremy renner is yeah hurt locker 
Uh, Scarlett Johansson is her. Ooh. Uh, who? Oh, uh, Chris Hemsworth. This is a very unpopular opinion. Is Red Dawn the remake? Wait, what? Yeah. Get out. What? That movie's awesome. so much fun to me. The movie's so much I'm fun. I'm so confused. Who are you? And what did you? The movie's so much fun to watch. Are you no, me? no, just stop talking. What? Okay. All right. I'll be silent. <laughs> Red Dawn, really? It's so much fun. Come on. No, I'm not gonna come on. Come on. You just like turn your brain off for a minute. Who the hell references Red Dawn in anything on any podcast or any written article or anything? Like who remembers this? I'm going to reference it in an article really soon. <laughs> You're going to love it. Clearly. All right, Will. Red Dawn. <laughs> Not Red Dawn. Damn it. Um. All right. So Ruffalo. Spotlight. Eternal Sunshine, Spotless <laughs> Mine. Uh, Downey Zodiac, although I do love Tropic Thunder. Yeah, you do. Uh, Hemsworth is Rush, absolutely. Scarlett Johansson is her. Um, who am I missing? Uh, you said Hemsworth. Oh, you know what I just realized? None of us said Chris Evans. <laughs> Evans, yeah. Snowpiercer, duh. <laughs> yeah. The rest of his stuff is uh, questionable. Yeah, just a bit. Oh, although I do have a soft spot in my heart for not another team movie. I thought you were saying Fantastic Four. I was like, oh, God. No, no, no. Or, I mean, he wasn't Sunshine. Oh, God. Sunshine, then. Yeah. So you're picking Sunshine over Snowpiercer. Yeah. I love that. Oh, yeah. No, I can't. I can't do that. Snowpiercer has a better third act than Sunshine. That's true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good question there, Josh. I really, really appreciate that. Now, moving over to our last trailer of the episode before we head over into the news section. This was a film that premiered over at Sundance, directed by Ben Lewin, written by Robert Rodat, the writer for Saving Private Ryan. It is The Catcher Was a Spy. It stars Paul Rudd, Mark Strong, Sienna Miller, Jeff Daniels, Tom Wilkinson, Guy Pierce, Paul Giamatti. A lot, a lot of people. It's got some awards buzz attached to it. Let's see the trailer for this one. You're an unusual man, Mr. Bird. Speaks seven languages. You're an athlete. You're more than up to the physical requirements of the job. What job? Since this war began, we have reason to believe the Germans are working on a fission bomb. The scientist leading their atomic program is Werner Heisenberg. We must get to him and find out how close the Germans are to a bomb. Welcome to the OSS, Mr. Berg. Millions of lives at stake. A 5% chance of losing the war to a weapon like this, you do what has to be done. You can't allow yourself to be captured. You know that I love you. You brought me here to say goodbye? I'll be back. This is your first job. I've never killed a man. If that's what you mean. It's not as hard as you might think. I don't know what God you believe in, Berg, if any. But I'll be asking mine to keep an eye on you. What if Heisenberg is on our side? Are you hoping he'll defect? If it comes down to it, are you going to be able to kill him?
may be one moment that tells you whether the Germans have involved. One moment when you'll learn all you need to know. Okay, so I did say before it has some awards buzz tied to it. I think that is what IFC is hoping for, but I need to cool your expectations right now and just say with 50% currently on Rotten Tomatoes, virtually no buzz coming out of Sundance to the point where I wasn't even compelled to want to go see it after hearing what some people were saying about it. I am going to say that this is one Oscar hopeful project that is just DOA. The trailer had me kind of interested, but I, I could see it being one of the ones that's like, look it, we're going to get Oscars, and then it doesn't. It has like a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Like, it, it did not come out of uh, Sundance with very good reviews. There's nothing in this trailer, uh, performance-wise, plot-wise. I mean, I got to say, spy films are really, really hard to make compelling. Yeah. Does anyone agree with me on that? Well, they're hard to make really, really, like a, a really, really good one is like rarely made nowadays. Right. I just want to say, you know, the, everyone's like, oh, he wrote Saving Private Ryan. He was a writer on Saving Private Ryan. Uh, he also is known for The Patriot, which probably is great. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like, I actually like The Patriot. I'm with Josh on this. How about Thor The Dark World? Uh, not great yeah <laughs> not so good he, he contributed to uh how about this he uh he contributed to 10,000 bc and warcraft awesome both no wait what awesome josh what is up with your taste this episode no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding i'm just kidding I'm just kidding red dawn <laughs> don't hate all right i'm gonna just i, I don't even like this is just a bad week for trailers um I mean, Paul Rudd did have another trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp uh, come out this week that, I don't know, it's pretty hard to get me excited for a Marvel film after Black Panther and Infinity War absolutely crushed it, and I just have this inevitable feeling that there's no way that Ant-Man and the Wasp could ever possibly live up to the high that we're on right now when it comes to Marvel, so I'm just going to skip over that. And I'll, I'll like I'll just, I'll just twist the question here a little bit, uh, because this doesn't look like a good spy movie to me. Uh, Josh. Will, what are some good spy movies? Uh, I really like Hannah. Ooh. Ah, Hannah's awesome. You know what I think is probably the best spy movie ever made? Tell me. Fucking Munich. Oh, Munich is good. And yes, that is a knocked up reference. Oh. <laughs> Eric Banner just capping motherfuckers. If we get late tonight, it's because of Eric fucking Banner. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Nobody remembers that scene in that movie, but that's okay. Uh, in other words, Munich is probably my favorite uh, spy film. I, I adore that movie, and I still think it's a top five Spielberg film. But Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, maybe top maybe top ten. Top ten. The top five was a little much. <laughs> Born Ultimatum is impeccable, as is Casino Royale. Ooh, Casino Royale. Yeah. Josh, I don't think I've ever asked you, are you a Casino Royale or a Skyfall guy? Uh, I've only seen, I'm a terrible James Bond film fan. I've only seen one James Bond film. What? Which was, yeah. and if you say Spectre. That's what it was. No, <laughs> no way. And I hated it. Yeah, obviously you haven't seen Casino Royale or Skyfall. What's wrong Those are the you? two I've been told to see. People are like, you should just watch those two. And I'm like, yeah, you're, you're maybe one time day. watching Palm Door films. Yo, bro, come on, change it up. You put on some James Bond. <laughs> put on some James Bond. You're trying to act all pretentious and shit, you know. You get 
Turn off James Bond. I'm just trying to just trying to widen my film vocabulary here. Oh, Dude, like geez. some of them are legitimately good films too. No, I'm yeah. sure. I just haven't watched them. I mean, yeah, not just that, but going back to like the Sean Connery days, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, like Russia with Love and Goldfinger are great. No, I'm sure. I just haven't like dived into that yet. And I mean, just going back to that era in general, um, North by Northwest. We need, we need, we need, we have to mention that. Oh yeah, right. Great film. Uh, what else is there? I mean, there, there are definitely a few. The Maturian Candidate, the original, not the Denzel Washington one. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what? I have started to come around to this a little bit more. Well, the more and more you and Michael Schwartz used to bring it up, I went back and I rewatched it, and I have to say it was better on a second watch for me. Bridge of Spies is pretty good. Oh, it's great. No. I no. will not say great still, but I, I think it's no. pretty good. <laughs> hey, it's 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 excellent. It's uh, no. top five best of 2015. No, it isn't. Or at least top ten best 2015. Well, uh, no. I mean, Josh, I was the same way you were. Better I than Spotlight. Tears the first time I no. saw it, but I went back and I rewatched it, and I'm glad that I did. I think it's definitely better on a rewatch. You hear me? Bridge of Spies is better than Spotlight. You're a freaking maniac. No, no, Spotlight is better than Bridge of Spies. You're insane. Um, how about the lives of others? That movie's great. You know, I used to have such disdain for that movie because of B. Penn's Labyrinth, but... It's so good! You're right, it is so good. I've kind of gotten over that now. It's like, it's like that feeling you have when you're in your, in your young 20s, and you're in film school, and... I'm gonna use this word again. You're all pretentious and shit, and you think, (laughs) you think you know what the hell you're talking about when it comes to good movies, and you're like, yo, Ordinary People sucks because of Beat Raging Bull. Ordinary People is so freaking good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it's good, uh, you know, and that's like one of those examples where I was just like, Psh, "What the hell is the lives of others? What is this movie that beat my pants labyrinth?" And then <laughs> I went back and I rewatched the lives of others, and I was like, "Oh shit, it is pretty great." The lives of others is good. So, all right, Will, take us home, my friend, dude. What do you got going on this week as far as the news right now in Hollywood? I'm gonna pull up our handy dandy little article we have from yesterday. How about that? Nice. Just don't go off every bullet point. There's too many. <laughs> I'm not going to do them all. Don't worry. Don't worry. Give people a reason to give us some page views, Will. All right. So here we go. Uh, Michael B. Jordan is teaming up with the uh, – there were two writers on Black Panther, and one of them was not Ryan Coogler. Michael B. Jordan is teaming up with that one for a comic book, not quite superhero, but a comic book film for Netflix – about a guy who hunts down, I think, cybernetically augmented super soldiers. Wait a minute, this is a comic book movie for Netflix? Yes. Pass. I think they, uh, Netflix has a couple superhero slash comic book films coming specifically for them soon. I'm trying to remember who the other yeah, ones are. Yeah, i pass on all of them. Josh, Josh, you're, Josh, you have some viewings coming up. <laughs> Thanks. But, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Netflix has proven to me that they, I, I, I I don't know. I'm just one of those crazy people that can't get behind their TV shows that they've done as far as the uh, like the Marvel uh, Jessica Jones and Daredevil. And like, I, I just I'm not buying it. And Iron Fist was atrocious. You know, Luke Cage was all right. The but first season of Daredevil is pretty good. It's too they're too long. They are too long. They shouldn't be They're way too episodes. long. I hate I hate hate their visual look that they go for with all these films and just just in the way that they're shot i'm sorry netflix content is like a dime a dozen Uh, you know it's it's 
very, very tough to get a property in there that actually is worthwhile. Yeah. I think no, I think Netflix is about to round the corner on that with some of the directors they've signed on though. I think we're gonna get some really good Netflix original films this year, next year. This is a reminder for everybody to watch Mud Bu- Mudbound and Oakja right now. Did you say Mudbound? No, Mud <laughs> Mudbound. And also too, while you're at it, check out Kodachrome. Okay? With Ed Harris. Kodachrome is so good. Yeah. Now, that's some good Netflix shit you be, should be checking out instead of all this sci-fi fantasy superhero stuff that oh, they keep doing. Psychokinesis is so good, too. <laughs> all right. Um, John Woo is remaking his action classic, The Killer. I don't know why. Well, this Woo. time he's rejiggered it to have Lupita Nyong'o in, in the lead. So that's, that's cool. That's fine. But why does, why does it have to be a remake of a film that's already a classic? Why can't they just get a new property for Lupita Nyong'o to do? Well, that's like I was wondering last year where it's like um, they announced that Lee Daniels is remaking Terms of Endearment with Oprah. Um, and But he, he's going to have it go in a different direction, being about HIV instead. So it's like, well, then why didn't you just do a HIV mother-daughter drama with Oprah and not call it Terms of Endearment? And I, I think it probably has to do with it's easier to get funding if you can attach something to a recognizable brand. The Killer is a famous action film, so I'm sure it's just easier from some exec somewhere to be like, all right, yeah, we know that name. We'll kick money its way. I hate that you're right. <laughs> Mel Gibson is doing another Okinawa World War II film. Like This one is mainly about kamikaze pilots. It's called um, Destroyer. So uh, there are some people who really, really liked Hacksaw Ridge. Matt nope. and I were nope. middle of the road on Hacksaw nope, Ridge. Nope, not true. Not true. I liked it. You, you did like it. Yeah, that's right. You yeah. loved it. I love the music. I love the sound design. I loved Andrew Garfield's performance. I, yeah, solid movie. I don't know where it gets all the tape from. Uh, you know, I think it probably stems from the fact that it's an old-fashioned movie. You know, it definitely has the same kind of feeling that Braveheart has to it and that it's just an old fashioned epic. Um, and I think that basic level of storytelling, uh, just bored some people or they just weren't captivated by it. Um, I don't know. It worked for me. Charlotte Rampling has joined Paul Verhoeven's next film about lesbian nuns. I think this is so funny is, um, (laughs) they keep marketing it as Paul Verhoeven reteens with L star. And it's um, making it sound like it's Isabel Huppert, and it's <laughs> it's it's another actress from the film, who is That's not funny. Isabel Huppert. Um, so this property, this cast is insane: Jessica Chastain, Marion Cotillard, Penelope Cruz, Fan Bingbing, and Lupita Nyong'o are um, going to lead. Simon Kinberg, who for years was a producer, and I think he made his directing debut with the next X Men film. But this is a spy film called 355, actually based on an idea Jessica Chastain came up with herself. You know, this is, I think, the second um, film that she will have a story credit on or something. Um, and it's being shopped all around Cannes. It's um, Kinberg's hoping it's going to be a new Bourne-style franchise. Well, God, God bless Jessica Chastain and the efforts that she's making right now for women in Hollywood. Uh, she is... <sighs> She, there are not there are not enough words in the English language that I can use to describe what a wonderful human being that person is. I love her, I love her to death, and I if she never acted again, 
and her entire career was devoted to just producing these types of projects, I'd be totally okay with it. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is going to be playing composer Leonard Bernstein um, in a film from Cary Fukunaga. Those are three people that all should be up for Oscars. Certainly Jill and Hall and Leonard Bernstein was an iconic composer, but he never won. So um, that's a lot of overdue. And I I do think Cary Fukunaga, um, once he gets back into film full swing, I think he'll be up for an Oscar before long because he's such a dynamic director. Yeah, he just needs the right project to come along. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, like if if episodes of True Detective had been a feature film, I think he would have. Season one, let's be clear, season one, uh, I think he would have been in contention for a directing Oscar back in 2013, 2014. Skipping some of these, you're going to have to read our article, but uh, Gabe Sherman, and uh, he's a journalist and biographer, he recently wrote that book about Roger Ailes, is going to be writing a Trump movie called The Apprentice, which is all about Trump's rise to power. Uh, Ben Kingsling is playing Salvador Dali, uh, and he is starring alongside Leslie Manville and Tim Roth. So that sounds like a super Oscar baby biopic. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch is playing a Cold War spy who helped end the, um, in the Cuban Missile Crisis. It is being directed. It's being described as being a, akin to Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy in tone. It's being directed by the guy who did On Chesil Beach, which is received mixed reactions oh i've seen it and and i have not posted my review of it yet Ooh. but that will be going up this week don't you worry <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not it's not that terrible i wanted to say for the record it's being written by tom o'connor who did the hitman's bodyguard so i kind of have a hard time seeing him doing something really gritty and intense but you know, okay that does sound pretty terrible <laughs> J.J. Abrams is doing a superhero film. How do you like that with the guy who's doing his World War II zombie film, Overlord, that is not part of the Cloverfield franchise later this year? Um, It sounds like a teenage boy's wet dream. And we are getting a Spamalot uh, adaptation. Yes! I I saw it with the original cast back when it was on Broadway in 05. Um, one of my favorite plays of all time. So excited for that. It is coming from a first time director, a little odd. I would have liked to have seen somebody who's got a little more experience directing for the screen do that. Wait, 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 but can I ask though, did anybody here see the little hours? No. Okay. All right. Bad comparison. Um, all right. So I'll just say this then I'll say something that you guys have all seen and understand if they shoot it in the same style as Monty Python and the Holy Grail, (laughs) <laughs> this is going to be like the most amazing thing ever then <laughs> yeah it'd be pretty great I- i'm talking like same type of like camera angles try to go for like the same level of um you know y- you can't do film stock but if you're gonna shoot it digitally up that gain a little bit to make it look like it's shot on film i mean like just just go for like that same look and this has, like, the potential chance to just be, like, that mixture of nostalgia while also presenting something new. I think that that could be really, really awesome. Yeah, it probably would be. We're also getting an adaptation, potentially, of In the Heights from the uh, writer and director team of Crazy Rich Asians. That was Lin-Manuel Miranda's previous play before Hamilton. Pretty good. So, um 
I, I, they've been talking about making a film of that for years. Be interesting to see if this moves forward, if Crazy Rich Asians is well-received. And for the rest of the news from this week, and yes, there is more, go over to our art to our website and check out that article. I'm going to try to have those up uh, every week. Matt's going to do them. You're going to post them on Saturdays from now on? Yeah, Saturdays. Mm-hmm. All right, so keep an eye out for those in the future. Very cool. Thank you very much. Gentlemen, do we have anything else we want to touch upon before we go? I have one other thing. Go right nope. Okay. I do have one other thing, and I think it was probably some of the biggest news of the week. Bill Cosby, Roman Polanski, booted from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. I don't want to, you know, hang on to this for way too long here. I mean, we're already over an hour, and I know that everybody kind of wants to go at this point. But this is pretty big news, you know, in the wake of uh, Harvey Weinstein, Me Too, and the Time's Up movement. We also um, had Bill Cosby's uh, conviction you know, go through uh, last week, which no doubt influenced this decision. What many people were not expecting was Roman Polanski to get looped in along with him. And a lot of people are saying that this was uh, very overdue for Roman Polanski and it's something that should have happened a very long time ago, predating, obviously, his win for Best Director for The Pianist in 2003. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on this and what else you think that this will... Um, you know, what else do you think this might lead to? What, what's the precedent that's being set here? Well, I mean, here they're clearly arguing, okay, criminal conviction is the line we draw. And yet Harvey Weinstein doesn't have a criminal conviction yet. Right. Um, but I think Harvey Weinstein was very much an act of the moment. Let's Let's do something right now. These stories that are coming out are so egregious. Now that everything has had some time to marinate, I think that probably they're going to stick with conviction for the lo- for the time being. Well, now the question is, is there anybody in the past that has a previous conviction that could get drugged up possibly? You know what I mean? I don't know. Or, or is, uh, you know, and like there are, there was an investigation in LA being opened up into Kevin Spacey. So like, I think if he goes to trial or if he gets entangled in full-blown criminal matters, that might happen to him. Uh, two points that need to be brought up about this whole thing, though, that, that are very important because these were probably the two questions I saw asked the most. Roman Polanski's best director win for The Pianist Still Stands. That is not being impacted at all by this. And Woody Allen is not technically in the Academy. So he can't be booted from the Academy then. I didn't know Woody Allen wasn't in the Academy. Like, also, too, Will, like, what does this ultimately mean? Yeah, okay, you booted from the Academy. Like, what does that mean? Like, how does it impact them? Uh, they don't get screeners invited to screenings, Academy events. They don't get to vote anymore. I think it's I, – I, I do think it is more symbolic than anything. Oh, yeah. That's, that's what I was definitely alluding to here. I, I mean, it, it is definitely um, almost like the spokesperson for Hollywood is basically saying – on behalf of all of us here at Hollywood, we want you to know you're no longer welcome here. Yeah. That's basically what it sounds like to me. Uh, so I just wanted to give that moment it's due. I wanted to just talk about it briefly here on the show, unless if you guys have any other final thoughts on the matter. It's a good move on there. I mean, that's a good that's a good thing to do. Yeah, some people are saying it's too little too late. You know what? Um, this is all very new. You know, these changes that are happening, I'm glad that something is at least being done. Yeah. For sure. And I hope that 
we continue to keep, you know, holding people accountable. And I hope that we continue to keep making positive changes within our environment because we, <laughs> it's not, it's not good to go backwards. We can only go forwards and we <laughs> yeah. certainly don't want to stay in the same place. That's for sure. So yeah, if this is the, if this is what needs to happen in order for us to get there, then it's a welcome one. Yeah. All right, Josh, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me at Josh underscore Williams. Oh nine. Will, where can they find you on the internet? Man, Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 89 of the Next Best Picture podcast here on nextbestpicture.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and also on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating of five stars. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think of the show. We really, really appreciate your feedback and also your support. Tying into that support... If you want to support us by going over to our Patreon page and giving us $1 at a minimum, we would also really much appreciate that. We are giving away exclusive podcast content away to anyone that does subscribe to us on Patreon. So if you do like what we do here, please help support us even more with either that iTunes review, that $1 subscription on Patreon. As always, you guys are the best. Thank you so much for submitting your questions every week. You've been listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast. We will see you all next time. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.